morning. It is indeed my joy to welcome you this lovely Lord's Day. We are so happy that you are here with us today. Uh, looks like we're still kind of going through the summer a bit. Uh, maybe some last-minute arrangements before school starts. Um, but we are really glad to have this time to gather as God's people, and we are thankful for this day of worship. If you are new to us, we are particularly happy to see you here with us. We have friendship pads. We simply use those as a way to say hello by name. You're welcome to put your name on that and pass that along. But we are very glad to be together in the house of the Lord. And while this is still summer and not the fall bumper crop, we have experienced in our church new lives. And to this week, we have a new birth to announce, and that is Cora Lynn Logan, born to Logan and Claire. Um, and uh, that was, I think, on Tuesday of this week. Um, is that correct? Lloyd. Oh, I said Logan. Logan's the first name. Lloyd's the last name. Thank you. At least I got the child's name right this time. Yeah, so it's Cora Lynn Lloyd. Uh, who was born this week, and just two weeks previous, uh, we celebrated, as you heard about, the birth of John Alexander Sinicki, born to Stosh and, uh, uh, boy, I'm, I'm having trouble now, Christy uh, Craddock, and uh, another young life. Next week, all right, Charles, watch me on this one. Next week, we will have the baby dedication for Edith Stokes Conkin. All right, good. That's one out of three is not too terribly bad. Um, and we look forward to that with your family, but also all these young lives that are here before us. Now, I sincerely believe with the birth of every child, it's a statement that God is sending to the world that there is hope for the future. Because I can get old and stodgy in my ways and feel like, oh, things are just truly going to hell in a handbasket. But God has not given up. God is bringing new life to us in our church and in our world. And that there is a future that we are helping create for these precious little ones before us. Our challenges are hard and difficult, but they are still our challenges for this time and in this age. And it is our duty as God's people to help overcome those challenges in order to create a future that God is still transforming. I hope you can believe that, even in the result of terrible news, that God loves this world and has not given up on it, and neither should we. And so worship is a time for us to be brought into a new and deeper insight into the purposes of God, to know God's love, to face our challenges, and then to seek and ask for God's power to work with us so that we may rise up and be the people God needs us to be in the challenge of these times. And so this next 45 minutes, I know I'm preaching today, this next hour <laughs> is very important. It's an important time for you to know the love of God and allow it to flow through your life. May you know that in confession, in song, in prayer, in listening, and in doing this grand work to which God has called us to complete.
stand as you are able and join me for the call to worship. Give thanks for the Lord's goodness. God's love is steadfast and forever. When you wandered lost, alone, and afraid, God was still there. Give thanks for God's steadfast love, for the wonderful things God has done and is doing for us. God's grace satisfies the hunger in our hearts and fills us with passion, hope, and peace. We will praise God's name always. Please pray with me. Father, we walked into this place today, all needing you in a different way. Some of us need strength because we're facing a big challenge. Some of us need hope because we feel like giving up. Some of us need to feel as though there is an arm around us because we're feeling alone. We trust that you will provide for us through a word, a song, a smile, or in a quiet moment. You are here. In your name we pray. Amen. Please pass the peace.
Our Hebrew scripture reading for this morning comes from Hosea chapter 11. Hear now the words of the prophet. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went for me. They kept sacrificing to the bells and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords and human kindness and bands of love. I was, with, I was to them like those who lift up infants to their cheeks. I bend down to them and fed them. They shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities. It consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. To the Most High they call, but he does not raise them up. How can I give up, give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord, who roars like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their home, says the Lord. This morning as Charles leads us in our pastoral prayer, we're going to sing a response together uh, throughout. uh, As you hear uh, in the prayer, create in us a clean heart, O God. Then we'll sing our response. Let me teach it to you now. Create in me a clean heart, O God, O God. Let's sing that together. Create in me a clean heart, O God, O Let's pray together. Oh God, we hear from your prophet Hosea that we are your children. You provide and protect us as a parent, and you call us your beloved. You brought us out of the deep, out of despair, and placed our feet firmly in the promise of a new life. We hear your words of warning and your words of comfort. We hear the call to change our ways, to live with a fierce faith, faith, able to bring justice and peace to those our world has ignored. May we live with compassion that you show us. May we look beyond our own desires to the needs of our neighbors. Create in us a clean heart, O God. Create in me clean heart, oh God, oh God. This morning as we pray for our sisters and brothers, we also offer a confession that we too are complicit in their fate. We have looked towards our own interests, forgetting the same grace, the same compassion, and the same life as promised to all. Remove our resentment, remove our anger, remove our apathy, and create in us a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, O God. We have forgotten the struggles of our siblings, 
we argue with each other instead of listening to the voices crying out. Today we offer a prayer for the hurting happening around us, for the coal miners and families in Eastern Kentucky needing relief and a fulfillment to future promises. We pray for those in the LGBTQ community that are still harassed and denied equal freedoms. We pray for scared communities and cities terrorized by hatred and gun violence who look for safer times. And we pray for the victim, victimized migrants who search only for humanity and hope. May we cease to engage in arguments with the other side and look towards the needs of the people. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. We have been partners in the myth of scarcity. Our media and our politicians have told us there's not enough for everyone. So we save, and our storehouses have become our gods. We forget that it is your provision that helped the Hebrews in the wilderness, and it was you who brought them to safety and into a new home. O oh God, may we see the abundance before us. May we see there is enough food for the hungry. There is enough space for the refugee. There is enough work for the migrant. There is enough peace and security for the scared and hurting. And there is enough love to share with our neighbors. May we open-heartedly give so all may live life abundantly. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, O oh God. And we pray for ourselves, for our guilt and our doubts. May the guilt of our past failures be no more. May they be erased from our memory. And may all doubts about the potential future be wiped out of our minds. For every new day is full of promising possibilities. May we live into the greatness of your kingdom come. And may we live generously with our time and our gifts. So all may be made whole. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God. Create in me clean heart, oh God, oh God. Amen. Now I invite you to stand with me for the hearing of the gospel lesson and remain standing for the singing of our offertory hymn. Today we are looking at the 11th chapter of the gospel of Luke as we continue with Jesus' teaching and healing ministry. Luke 11, beginning in verse 5. And Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend... And you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if a child asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you join me now in singing our offertory hymn number 44, Like a Mother Who Has Borne Us? Like a mother who has borne us, held us close in her delight, fed us freely from her body, God has called us into life. Like a father who has taught us, grasped our hand and been our guide, lifted us and healed our sorrows, God has walked with us in life. As children we have wandered, placed our trust in power and might, left behind our brothers, sisters, God still calls us into life. When we offer food and comfort, grasp our neighbor's hand in love, tread the path of peace and justice, God still walks with us in life. God, we are grateful for your grace and for your love, for your forgiveness, for your welcome into your good and beautiful, beloved kingdom. God, we ask that you would take these gifts that we offer to you, that these gifts would be much more than our money, but also of our time, of our abilities, of our very selves, our hearts to you, that you might bring your ways and your goodness into this world more and more. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.
in the valley where the shadows sing is where I made my bed. So if you're keeping count of all my wrongs, well, I'm as good as dead. Heard the stories of your hallowed hands reaching through the night. I've heard the shimmer of your loving gaze makes the darkness light. So, oh. upon the eastern skies where dawn will surely topic for today's sermon was planned weeks ago. The theme, I thought, pretty straightforward about the character of God's amazing love and persistent forgiveness. And it still will be about love and forgiveness. But here we are again, like a broken record faced with the awful and tragic events coming from El Paso yesterday and Dayton, Ohio just last night. Filling up our news feeds and overflowing into our hearts with ever more sadness, anger, fear, and frustration. Yes, there are many terrible things happening in the world right now, all over the place. And the preacher is in a terrible fix. The preacher, that is, of good news. For how can we bury our heads in the sand and not speak to what is in the back of everyone's mind when many believe church should be a place where I can be rescued from the troubles rather than be reminded of them. Can't we just let the world and all the world's problems stay out there just for a little while? But the world won't let us, will it? 
What do elementary schools, college campuses, nightclubs, movie theaters, music festivals, high schools, factories, workplaces, churches, mosques, synagogues, community fairs, and shopping centers all have in common? You don't have to answer. We know the answer ourselves. The troubling answer. That if you define a mass shooting as three or more deaths, excluding the shooter, so far this year in the United States, there have been 249 incidences of mass shootings. 249 this year of school shootings resulted in three or more victims. By the way, today is day 216 in the calendar. And while many of these incidences involve other crimes or domestic troubles, or occur in pockets of our country represented by very dense populations but are still underreported because those areas have been already written off as not important enough, not even significant enough to mention, let alone to remedy. There are still far too many. Maybe we just won't care until it comes closer to home. Well, I guess Walmart is about as close to home as you can get. How many of you know, those seated here, that just this past weekend, 2 a.m. Saturday night, last week, across the street, in the parking lot at Fayette Mall in front of Bar Louie, just a few hours before we opened our doors for worship last week, there was a shooting involving three victims. I believe non-fatalities. A monocle of good news right here in our doorstep the bullets flying wildly our silence will not do nor our hesitancy to not even begin a sensible conversation on how to slow down this out of control epidemic that is putting everyone's lives at risk you know, we dispensed a long time ago with singing Kumbaya. Come by here, Lord, come by here. Making fun of it because it sounded like escapism. But I do remember singing it as a child and how it helped me build empathy for someone other than myself. Someone's crying, Lord. Someone's crying, Kumbaya, Lord, kumbaya, come by here. Come by here. And thoughts and prayers are indeed vacuous and offensive, especially when they never lead to any substantive action or transformative change. And worse, when thoughts and prayers are offered ghibli by our leaders, as a smokescreen to run away from taking any real responsibility for the problem. I expect from our elected officials more than their sympathy. I hope you do too. But I promised you a sermon about God's love and forgiveness. And in light of this troubling introduction and the troubling state of our country, allow me to suggest how this is exactly the kind of message we need to hear. An assurance 
that as much as we seem as a society to wish harm upon one another, or maybe we are indifferent to the pain and heartache of those harmed, it behooves us, the people of God, to double down, triple down, and cling to the eternal hope of the great love of God like never before. We need to stop shaking our heads in dismay and start lifting up our hearts in love. Hosea pleads God's case to God's people, a people chasing after the false gods of security and safety. Don't you realize, dear children, how much I love you. Like a mother's tender love. Like a father's supportive love. Like a parent's best ever love. Hoping the most for us. Wishing for us. Pleading for us. Cheering for us. Loving us. Even in our despair. Writing this week in the Baptist News Global, Dr. Marley Marshall, president of Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Shawnee, Kansas, who incidentally announced her retirement next year in 2020, shares about a recent visit she had at Smoke Rise Baptist Church outside of Atlanta, the place our own Jeremy Colliver works as minister to Minister of Missions, Communication, and Youth. Well, she was speaking with an adult Sunday school class, and the discussion began with what she wished she had emphasized more in her early years of teaching. But looking back over a career of great teaching to many wonderful seminary students, does she wish she had underscored a little bit better? Dr. Marshall said that she had wished she had taught the students more about how beloved each of them were by God. Especially as many came to seminary battered by the judgmentalism of their churches or the dysfunction of some of their homes. Most of us carrying shaming ideas that we are not enough and for whom God is nothing more than a reminder of just how bad we are. Isn't it revolutionary to say you are beloved by God? Revolutionary. In your own mind, in your own experience. Revolutionary. In the hallways and the streets of a community that might believe it. Revolutionary and a world that might be transformed by its transforming message. Yes, we have a gun problem in America. And by a factor of tens of thousands compared to a few hundred, the greatest cause of gun deaths in our country is by suicide. According to the CDC, there were 39,000 U.S. gun deaths in 2016. 451 of them could be described as mass shootings, 14,000 from homicides, and 23,000 by suicide. Now, every life is precious. 451 deaths from mass shootings is still way too high Certainly, 451, too many. But how many of us woke up this morning thinking about the tens of thousands of our fellow citizens who have been filled with such despondency and despair that they have felt their life was not worth living? And the, statistically speaking, greater threat of gun violence 
is at the hands of those who turn those guns upon themselves. Easily accessible guns in the home are a key factor toward rising suicide rates, accounting for at least one half of all of those who take their own life. What do we do as a society when there is so much self-loathing going on? So much self-hatred, so much despair, so much hopelessness for one's own life and lack of regard for another's. I can hear Hosea pleading, imploring words from across the centuries, dripping with the divine pathos, God's own breaking heart. Don't you know how much I love you? Now please don't understand this sermon as nothing more than some warm and fuzzy sentiment that all we need to do is just love one another and ourselves a little bit better to stem the tide of this violence. We obviously need more. Love translated into real work that will result in policy changes and different voting choices. We need to have a better understanding, researching, and funding how we are going to treat mental illness running rampant in our society, and then proposing common sense actions that can shake us out of our stupor. How many more incidences is it going to take? I know I lost a great deal of hope in the days and months following December the 14th, 2012, and the tragedy at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, with numbers eerily similar to El Paso. 26 lives lost, including 20 of them. Precious little faces, six to seven years of age, gone in a flash. And some had the audacity to say it was all a hoax. And the world held its tongue. So I returned to something so fundamental, so basic, so bedrock, so essential, so irreplaceable to our Christian story. For love must speak truth. And truth must not be shy to proclaim the mysterious power of love. What informs this great love that saves us, that we hold to, that we celebrate and worship, that we seek to have flowing through us and empowering us in our everyday action? On whose authority do I depend? Well, for me, it's rooted in a man named Jesus whom I confess as my Savior and Lord. A Savior and Lord you too confess. In borrowing from the past, a well-used list described by Baptist pastor James Allen Francis, 1864 to 1928, I bring to your attention my paraphrase of the details of Jesus' story especially when you compare that influence to the unparalleled influence that Jesus had upon the history of the world. Consider, this is what a divine life filled with love looks like. This incarnate love of God in human flesh. For here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman, whose early education was limited to the practicality of a carpenter's woodshed, who never went off to school or owned a home or wrote a book or held political office or held down a respectable job or who never married or had children. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. 
As a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him, even in his own hometown, even in his own home congregation. His friends abandoned him, a few betrayed him, and he was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth. His coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. And what do we find in this life? Even at the end, when he is suffering, arrested, and moving to the gallows, incredible compassion. Read ahead in Luke. He says to the women watching him, Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. Concerned for not his own life, but their future. Who says in Luke, while upon the cross, to those hanging in agony beside him, Friend, there is still possibility for you. Still oozing love as life is dripping from his body. Where did we believers ever get the idea that our existence on this planet would be trouble-free and conflict-neutral? Where did we ever come with the understanding that to be a Christian meant we live the good life? Everything always turning out rosy and spectacular. Where do we ever come up with this conception that what's necessary for us to truly know God's love is how my experience and my day is going? Jesus' message, this man, God's only son, speaking with every morsel and fiber within his being, would Offer through every breath this message. Whatever your circumstances, God is not against you. God is for you. Now, God may be against what you've done or what you've done to someone else or what you're in the process of doing, but in fact, God loves you, is close to you, and can live within you. Whatever your problems, they can be forgiven. You can start again. You can change. And your perspective of your neighbor can be transformed. Not in condemnation and hatred and more bitterness and self-righteousness. But in a deep love. If we, this church, God's church, Jesus' church, are to love the way he loves, it helps us to remember this great love will make you appear weak. It will make you vulnerable. It will hurt. You will suffer. You will be let down by others. You will have your motives scrutinized and questioned. You will be ridiculed and discounted by the powerful. You will be tempted to lash out when first you need to forgive. You will be mocked. You will be judged as naive. You will feel crushed bruised and sorrowful. But doesn't it amaze you that in the midst of all of that there is the power of God's love? How can God love a world so wicked, so bent, so twisted, so violent, so messed up, so dangerous, so cruel, so greedy, so polluted, so wretched, so filled with age, a world that is, well, let's just admit it, so unlovable. If the church has lost its power and its voice in these modern times, it is because the church has lost its love. The strength and weakness, this humility we are to place in God's power of grace alone, this courage that we are to be servants who are admonished to remove the bitterness and fear from our hearts so that our speech is not filled with hatred and revenge in return, but is proven by our remarkable world-saving love.
It will be hard. The Gospels, Jesus said, ask, seek, knock, and persist. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep at it. Don't give up. That we are not just to pray for our convenience or our comfort. We are to pray for the Holy Spirit that God's love may come reign among us, within us, around us, through us, by us. The church has risen up in the past. In our ranks, those who have been radicalized by the love of God were the moral voices to oppose slavery. The guiding force behind orphanages and hospitals came from those warmed by the love of God. The success of women's suffrage and the civil rights movement, all fueled by believers shaped by the church who felt loving God and others was more important than loving themselves. Who are we that God should love us? Who are we that God should use us? Who are we to even dare to come into God's presence? We are God's very own. Love redeemed, and transformed. And if there's ever to be the change God hopes in the world, it must begin with us. We conclude our service today with hymn 65, Guide me, O thou, o thou great Jehovah, and you are welcome to respond to the grace of God to confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, to be baptized, to be part of a loving fellowship, to respond to God's Spirit as God calls you, and we stand to sing hymn 65, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah.
appreciate the listening of this sermon intently by you. I know that these are difficult times and a scary world, and it is my deepest prayer that you know God's hope for the world and love that fills every moment, that we, in the midst of all of these concerns, might rise up this week to something tangible and meaningful and good and healthy that we might be able to do. It may take such a little action. For as Barbara Brown Taylor says, this world needs mending and every small stitch counts. One of the ways in which you can help mend this world is in thinking about the Harlan County miners. There is a local effort to uh, provide for them uh, some supplies for school for their children, for canned goods, for food, uh, detergent, and other things that we'll send out in an email. The collection point will be next Saturday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the historic Hall Catholic Church on Short Street. And there is a group that is putting together those kinds of helps locally to take to those families in Harlan County of the miners who have been uh, laid off by, I think it was Blackburn Coal Company, Black Jewel Coal Company, um, and have worked but not received money for their labors and are in dire straits. Um, also, if you wish and would like to know more information, you can speak with me. A group from Louisville is planning a worship service on the tracks tonight, 6 p.m. in Harlan, Kentucky. Um, the person that came and spoke with us, uh, Jordan Connolly, uh, this week or this uh, summer as a part of our summer series, is a part of that effort, as well as Jackson Campbell, a member of our church who has been working this summer at Butuel Park Baptist Church in Louisville as youth minister or youth helper. And, uh, and so that's going on. If you're not able to go to Harlan County, which is about two and a half hours away, uh, one way, uh, at least at 6 p.m., set an alarm, pray for those folks who are doing that uh, this afternoon. Next Sunday's communion, and we look forward to sharing communion as God's people. And are there any other announcements before we adjourn? And now... We offer our prayer to the God able to give us strength in our difficulties and to rescue us in our worries, who tells us that in a world of trouble, we are still to have good cheer because he has overcome the world. And so may God protect you. May God fill you with wisdom and strength. May God grant to you the power of the Holy Spirit of love to infuse your every word and action, your every thought and decision, that you are the redeemed, knowing the goodness, the grace and power of God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Go and share this love. Amen.